Oh, church, give it up for Jesus this morning. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wow, I don't even know where to go from here. Apparently, we need an altar call first. Well, today is a good day to renew my mind, to encourage my soul, to align with truth and walk in faith. Amen. Can you say it with me? Today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth and walk in faith. Good job. You'll get it eventually. Well, um, Happy 13 years, Nolan, Ramona, Eric, all you guys. So glad that you guys are here. If it's your first time here, welcome to the journey. You're part of the exchange now. So uh, there's 13 years ahead of you, but you didn't come too late. Welcome to the party. Um, Last night or yesterday, I watched an amazing game. Uh, Texas A&M University. Anyone watch that game? Yeah, Paul? All right. Any... Anyone else? Okay, yes, over here we've got some Aggies. In fact, can I, j- I, I really could use some Aggie support right now. Can I get a whoop? All right, yeah, t- yeah Texas A&M played Miami. It was, a, it was a fantastic game. We did great. Uh, we're going to walk in faith today. Um, Longhorns, uh, you guys... You played Alabama, you really could have done better. I uh, decided I wanted to wear my A&M jersey today. Uh, I I just need you to know that I'm not a Fairweather fan. I don't just support Texas A&M when they win big. I support Texas A&M all year long because my wife and I spent a lot of money there. Spent a lot of years there, a lot of sweat and tears on that campus, Texas A&M. We were there when the stack fell in 2009. I was actually on campus, if you guys remember that horrific accident. I was on campus in the computer lab doing uh, some research and study, and I was parked in the parking lot right next to the stack. So we go way back with A&M. We we love it. It's God's country. Um, God sent us to Austin 13 years ago because he knew that you Longhorns <laughs> needed a bit more Jesus. So anyway, how's it feel having an Aggie pastor, y'all? Come on, somebody. Let me. Well, listen, my team didn't win yesterday. That's okay, though. That's okay. They won last week, um, and Longhorns won last week. I think every fan in church last week came here happy because all the teams won that we represent. This week is a little bit different. It's okay, though, um, because I came to remind us today that we are all part of a team that has a perfect score. We are all part of a team that we don't have to sit on the edge of our seat hoping that somebody's not going to make two interceptions for the first time in the history of his career on that one game. Team Jesus is guaranteed to win each and every time they go on the field. I don't understand why the other team would even have any spectators or any fans, to be honest with you. When you know who's going to win, 
just sign up for Team Jesus. But I'm thankful, even I love my Aggies, I love them, but I'm thankful to be part of Team Jesus that never fails, never fails, never has to walk away in defeat. And part of my starting position on Team Jesus is Team Exchange. Team Exchange, you guys, it's a phenomenal team. I love when Kerry had people stand. It was kind of funny to me because I think some people don't remember or realize they're part of the team. We have what I would call like bench players that aren't on a Sunday team, but they come in for special events. You're part of Team Exchange. Connect group leaders, you may not serve on a Sunday, but you're still part of Team Exchange. There's one guy who's been volunteering for 13 years and uh, two weeks ago, he stepped down from the current position. He's, he's currently not assigned to a place. And I just thought it was funny he didn't stand. I'm like, bro, come on, stand. You've been with us for 13 years. If you're taking a two-week break right now till you find your next fit, you are team exchange. Josh Dining, can I give it up for Josh Dining? He's just, he's just too humble. He's like, do I stand? Do I not stand? 13 years this man has poured into this ministry, just like many of you have. And man, I... When I think about team sports, I'm glad you're on my team. I'm glad that you and I are working together for the kingdom to build what God is wanting to build in Austin, Texas, and beyond. Thirteen years ago, we began this thing called the Exchange Church. Now, if you're raising kids by the time they're 13, you realize how long it's been. But when you're rolling up your sleeves and serving in church the 13 years, it doesn't quite feel like 13 years. You know, it feels like just a few years ago, we were setting up and tearing down. And I remember Joy Peak, uh, Joy High, West Peak. I don't know why I called her. She's been married how many years now? 10, 13. I'm married to you and Larry, and I still call you by your maiden name. Anyway, Joy got upset when we first moved into this place because that meant she couldn't show up at 6 a.m. anymore to set up and tear down. And uh, when I say upset, like a joy kind of upset, you know what I mean? Like, oh, man, not a something else kind of upset. But uh, I just remember little things like that, how you guys through the years have supported what God is doing here. People have come and people have gone, gone and People have transitioned in and out of our church and moved and found other states to live in, other nations to live in. I'm still bitter about that, but those in this room and those watching online, I can't think of a better team to be a part of than you. So 13 years, good on you. I'm so proud of you. I wanted to preach today from a, a book of the Bible that launched this church. In 2009, when Carrie and I felt the call that it was time to move on from where we were and start a church, to be honest, we didn't want to come to Austin. It wasn't you, it was us. We had grown up here, and sometimes when you grow up in a place and you go back, you've been away for a number of years, you kind of feel like the old tray comes on you when you go into the city and or the old carry, just the old memories of who you used to be. And we had grown over 10, 13, 14 years being away into totally different people. Of course, our family knew who we'd grown into, but I guess we didn't know how to manage that change coming back into our hometown. And I remember God took us to the book of Nehemiah 
And he went back to his hometown to rebuild the walls. And I would love to preach on Nehemiah today. That will get me fired up. But there's another book of the Bible that really spoke to our hearts. You see, when I, I think I got used to it earlier. And if you want to grab a mic and share any of this, you can, babe. Um, Carrie, I think, struggled more with Austin than I did. I wanted to go to Colorado because I felt like Jesus could use me more if I could snow ski sometimes, like between sermons. And then I also wanted to go to Oregon because it was and almost is the most unchurched state in the nation. In fact, why don't I just get you guys to sit down? This could go on for a while. I wanted to go to Colorado or Oregon because I'm a pioneer. I like to do new, exciting things. I like challenges. Like, give me the city that's hard to build a church in, and that's where I want to go. And God brought me to Austin, back to Austin. And my wife wasn't happy about it. She, she kept praying, I think, for the Lord to change his mind. Um, when we would talk about Austin, she would tear up a bit. But the Lord took her to the book of Jonah. And it's the book of Jonah that softened our hearts and really got us planted in Austin. Got us not just planted in Austin, but excited to pray for you before we ever knew you. My wife did a Bible study through the book of Jonah and saw that uh, Jonah didn't want to go where God had called him to go and saw how that ended out. And so she began praying for the people of Austin every day, people we didn't know, praying for you and your families and the legacy that would be established here. And... Uh, over time, our hearts softened, and here we are, 13 years later. And so I can't think of a better book of the Bible to preach in today, in the time that I have, than the book of Jonah. Jonah was a man who was a minor prophet in the Bible, and God told him to go to Nineveh. Now, if you grew up in the church, I'm sure you have colored 1,000 whales in your lifetime, like of all the children's ministry curriculum, the easiest to get and reproduce is this little short stubby man and a big old whale. And so we, we know the coloring sheets of that in Jonah and the story of the big fish and God told him to go to Nineveh, which was northeast, but instead he went, he went west to Tarshish. And we know that a big fish swallowed him and spit him back out on the ocean and, or on the shore, and he decided to go ahead and go where God had told him to go. You, you know the story. Um, but I wanted to share the story today in light of, because I'm just so proud of my Aggies today, and I'm, I'm uh, really praying for the Longhorns. I wanted to share this story in light of sports. Is that all right if we just talk sports for a little bit? Yeah. All the women said, Yes. Amen. I wasn't sure if that was me or not. Sorry. I, uh, I think sports really apply to Jonah because uh, Jonah liked to show up to a football game with golf clubs. Uh, if you read the story, Jonah is, is really a short book of the Bible. If you've never read it, I suggest that you read it. It's only... Uh, four chapters long, but Jonah was a man that liked to bring golf clubs to a football game, 
And golf is an individual sport. A football game is a team sport. And so in the kingdom, very rarely will God ever call you to bring golf clubs to the table. Anything God is going to have you do in your life for other people, it's going to involve a team. I, I know we like to believe in America that there are self-made men, self-made women, but the truth is no one gets where they are alone. It, it is always on the backs, on the shoulders of parents, grandparents, coaches, teachers, mentors. Like we all have people investing in our life. And so the kingdom is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Yes? And so we want to talk today about Jonah. Jesus talked about Jonah, the Jonah event, and even compared it to the burial and resurrection event. Now, how many of you have heard... At some time in your history, uh, that this, the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish was kind of just allegorical. Or maybe it wasn't a literal event. It's just a story with a moral. Anyone ever heard that before? All right, good. I'm, I'm glad to dispel that myth today. Uh, we know that what happened in the book of Jonah is literal because Jesus references it and compares it to a literal burial and resurrection of Jesus. Now, go ahead and stand to your feet with me. Let's just honor the words of Jesus today in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 through 41. Jesus says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this gener generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus references the Jonah event, compares it to the resurrection, which, by the way, the resurrection really did happen. And there's a myth going around town that the resurrection was also just allegorical, didn't really happen. It's just in spirit he rose up. But that's not the truth. Jesus died on a cross for our sin. He was placed physically in a grave. And on the third day, he physically rose from that grave, taking the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And then he ascended to heaven later. Jesus physically rose from the dead. And because Jesus physically rose from the dead, we know that Jonah physically was in a giant fish. Giant fish. Men have spent, there's a, a big debate over, can a whale that has a skinny little throat actually swallow a human? Well, the Bible doesn't say that it was a whale. It says it was a great fish. And men for generations have been more concerned on trying to identify the great fish in this story than identify the great God in this story. And so we're going to do that today. And the title of my message, I'm going to keep it simple. It probably comes as no surprise to you. The title of my sermon is Jonah and the Worm. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for our time together. God, I ask that you would... God, let this message land where you want it. God, let us receive from your spirit what you have planned for us individually and corporately today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 
Before you sit down, you got to make some noise. Turn to somebody. Tell them happy 13. Tell them, I didn't know there was a worm in the story of Jonah. And then you may be seated. Anyone ever heard of the story of Wrong Way Roy? Wrong Way Roy was a center for University of California back in the 19, uh, actually 1908 uh, to 1993. He was born, but 1927 to 1929, he, he played in California. And Wrong Way Roy played in the 1929 Rose Bowl, and he was a fantastic player. He had, he had gotten several awards at this point when he showed up at the Rose Bowl, and uh, he played both on offensive and he played on defensive, and uh, they were almost through the game, like into the fourth quarter, the top of the fourth quarter, just a little bit more, um, and the team that they were playing fumbles the ball, and Roy retrieves the ball, and he takes off running, and he turns, and he turns, and he turns, and he turns, and then he starts running towards the goal line. 70 yards he runs, and he's running the wrong way. If he makes it to the touchdown, he's actually going to make points for the other team. And so his teammate, uh, they were playing the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, at the time, and his teammate takes off running. The quarterback takes off running to catch wrong way Roy and to let him know you're running the wrong way. And he catches Roy at the three-yard line. And by the time Roy understands he's running the wrong way, all of a sudden, this pile of yellow jackets capture him and and take him down, and they get the ball. And, And needless to say, it didn't end well for Roy. He was a really strong player, but this one thing haunted him the rest of his career. It was known as the biggest blunder in the history of college football. 70 70 yards running the wrong way. Maybe some of us here today feel like we've spent a long time running the wrong way. We were carrying the ball, what we thought we should be carrying, and we're running, and we're outpacing the enemy, and We think things are going well, but now we're not still sure. I mean, it's 2023. We're not seeing the progress we hope to see. We're not seeing the success that we hope to see. We're not seeing the fruit of the labor of the thing which we thought we were supposed to be carrying. And so now we're wondering, are we like wrong way Roy? Are we running a mission of our life that God actually didn't call us to? And I know what some of you are thinking right now. How can I be running the wrong way if I'm in church right now? Just because you're in church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here, but there's more than just showing up to church. So here today before us is a story of Wrong way, Jonah. Jonah was given directions. He was told to run a certain way. This is the goal line. This is where I want you to take the ball. And Jonah went the complete opposite 
direction. He was called to go one direction, and he went the other. And if you today are currently lost, disoriented, wondering which team you're actually playing for, then lean in because today we're going to learn three things. Number one, we're going to learn that it is impossible to run from God. Number two, we're going to learn that God is merciful, full of mercy, full of grace. And number three, we're going to learn that God gives second chances even if you fail. In the story of Jonah, the four chapters, uh, God uses a storm, God uses a whale, God uses a worm, God uses a plant, God uses so many things to help get Jonah where God wants Jonah to be. Now, the four chapters, we're going to go through them today, so you can actually tell everyone when you get out of here, you read the entire book of Jonah, because I'm going to give you the summary of that today. But the four chapters in Jonah, we're going to refer to as quarters. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. Are you with me? We can do that. Okay, we're going to keep it simple. The four chapters can be summarized like this. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write these down. The first one, first quarter, is running from God. Second quarter, running to God. Third quarter, running with God. And the fourth quarter, a run-in with God. Simple. So now when you think of the book of Jonah, you can think along those lines and you'll know exactly what it is. The first quarter, Jonah tried to play golf. He forgot that we were playing football and Jonah brought golf. He was running from God. He did, these are nice clubs. These clubs are way better than I am a golfer. Um, by the way, let me just take a moment to publicly rebuke someone. Who said that golfing is not a sport, Ryan? I won't tell you who said it, but golfing is a sport. We were playing golf, and someone said golfing wasn't a sport. But is it, it really is a sport. It's just an individual sport. And Jonah wanted to play golf on the first quarter of the calling that God had on his life, but Jonah forgot that God didn't call him to play golf. God called him to play football on a team, follow the coach, make the plays. And, you know, sometimes people can even play football, but go get so caught up in their own reputation on the team about them getting credit or them making the touchdown. Sometimes you don't have to make every touchdown. Sometimes you just got to get tackled for the team. You know, the, you call the team in and the coach says, we're going to do this play. And you know, in that play, that means you don't get any glory. You're just one of the guys that are getting tackled. That's not fun. Coach, let's do the one where you pass the ball to me and I make the touchdown. But that's not playing the team sport, Rhonda. That's playing golf on the football field. So when we're playing a team sport, and Jonah hopefully will learn this lesson in our time together today, because in the second quarter, he puts down the club and he picks up the football and he's running to God. Third quarter, he's running with God. And then the fourth quarter, a run in with God. Somehow he picks up the club again. 
at the end of Jonah's story, the success of his mission, at the height of Jonah's career, he chooses to play golf again. The football is what got him to be successful, and when he got success, he decided it's time to play golf. Let's start with the first quarter, shall we? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, let me just give you a quick picture of Nineveh. Nineveh is a massive city. It's, it's more like a conglomeration of three cities that has morphed into one. Nineveh is so large that the walls around the city are wide enough to carry three chariots side by side. So on top of the wall, three chariots can surround the city on top of the wall. The, the streets in Nineveh, some of them are 20 miles long. Now, I know that doesn't sound long for us. We, we're airplane people. What's 20 miles? But for this time, it's unheard of. So Nineveh is a massive, impress, impressive uh, city. But not only is it massive and impressive in stature, it is massive in sin. It is probably the worst city that you could ever think of. It's filled with wicked people. We know from other sources that they piled dead bodies around the city. You would have to step over piles of dead bodies. Uh, they were savage. Ninevites would burn boys and girls. Ninevites would skin adults alive, attach their skin to the walls of the city, and let the skinned humans die in the scorching sun. They would torture adults. Monuments have been found, and the inscriptions are celebrating different acts like filleting humans. Ninevites weren't someone to be messed with. And Jonah was a Jew. Maybe we could compare this to the Nazi regime, but even seems like way more scarier than that. The possibility of your children being filleted in front of you, this was not okay. And, and Jonah didn't want to go. The people of Nineveh were direct enemies of the Jews. So instead of 500 miles to the northeast, Jonah decides to go 2,000 miles to the west. Tarshish. So he's willing to travel four times the distance to get away from the place that God is telling him to go. He chose to go on his own. What road are you on today? Are you on the road that God has assigned you to be on? Or have you counted the cost and decided you might could try a different route? You might could do it differently. Oh yeah, God has told you to be invested in A, B, and C, but I'm going to invest in X, Y, and Z because I think that's going to be better. What road are you on? Golf is an individual sport, and it's, it's fun. 
I like golf, especially when I get that. Um, I'm not any good at it, but if I go to Top Golf and I hit it in the right ring, and then I just I can see the animation and the beautiful shot right into the red circle, and it's it's wonderful. And it's and I play with my buddies, and and some of them are really awful, more awful than me. And so that's nice when that happens. Um, but then I, I also get to order food. And Top Golf has some amazing wings and fried pickles and fried cheese and all the stuff that I can't eat. Um, I, I love Top Golf, but at the end of the day, it's an individual sport. And I can't get where God is calling me to go if I just choose a path that only involves my desire, my wish, my agenda, my priorities. What road are you on? Because today God is calling you to be a part of the family of God. I don't care if you win the Olympics in golf. It's individual sport. You can get the highest honor in it. I would rather you get the lowest reward of a team sport than the highest reward of an individual. You know I'm speaking metaphorically right now. I'm not saying don't play golf. I would rather you serve on a team that parks three cars in a year than to have your own business with no workers And you go around to all the churches and you get paid to park 10,000 cars in a year. You're still on your own. When will we learn as a people that God has called us into community? In chapter 1, Jonah really thought he knew the answer. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Eric, I mean, it's, it's closer. Why wouldn't you want to go? Now, I can think of a few reasons why Jonah would not want to go. He doesn't want to be this week's filet. That would be one. Maybe, maybe he would be unpopular. Maybe he didn't want to go because he's a Jew. These people are anti-Jew. I don't want to go. Or maybe, number two, he was unconcerned. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe he really just was so fed up with Nineveh and the sin. The sin had boiled over so much. It was so disgusting to him that he just didn't really care. He was like, you're, you get what you're going to get. You're awful. I hope that God just takes care of it. Maybe he, he didn't care. Maybe he didn't go to Nineveh because he thought it would be too difficult. How am I going to explain this to my family, to the people back home? How am I going to let them know that I'm caring for these people that hate us so much? It's just too difficult. I don't think any of those are it, actually. I think we find the answer in verse chapter 4, verse 2. I think he didn't want to go because he knew that his mission would succeed. God told him to go to Nineveh, tell them to repent. And he knew that his mission would succeed. I don't want to go to Nineveh and have them repent and let them be in good graces. Why would I do that? Look at all the people that they've killed. God, they hate us. They hate your people. Why would you send me to those people? They're so anti you. Why would you want to give them any grace and any mercy? He knew that it would succeed. Chapter 4, verse 2 tells us, Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know 
that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. That's why Jonah wouldn't go. That's why he chose the club rather than the ball, because he knew that the plays the coach was making were going to win. And some say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I just like the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is kind and gentle, gracious and merciful. The the God of the Old Testament is harsh and legalistic and he like murders people. But here we see that, that Jonah knew the God of the Old Testament. It says the God of the Old Testament was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. So we learn here that the God of the Old Testament wasn't a harsh God. The God of the Old Testament was a gracious and loving God. And on the flip side of that, the God of the New Testament is a God that is just and righteous. We want to lean into the kindness of God in the New Testament, but God is still just. He's still holy. He's still righteous. And all of these things he calls us into community with. Bottom line, Jonah wanted God to take Nineveh out. Jonah did not want to win. Sometimes we believers might take a a perverse pleasure in knowing that certain people that bother us are going to hell. You ever thought that? Someone cuts you off, flips you off on the highway, and you think, I know you're going to hell. I know that you are. Like, I have no doubt in my mind, you are hell-bound. You never thought that. Me neither. (laughs) Bottom line, we all deserve God's judgment. Each and every one of us deserves God's judgment. He's running from God. Now, quarter two. He finds himself in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. And Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Look at that word, then. Then. If you read the verse right before that, at the close of chapter 1, it says he was in the bellies, in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. Then he decided to pray. I think the moment I saw that great fish open his mouth, I would have started already speaking in tongues. I would have just started, oh, God, rescue me. I'm so sorry. I repent. I'll do whatever. I started bargaining with God. But it took three days in the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So now, finally, guys, the good news is here. He's got the ball. He's put the club away, and he's on team God. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Of course, it, it took a little bit of work, but God got him there. Then we get into the third quarter. There is no halftime show after the second quarter. We're still running with God in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to read five verses together to get you caught up on that chapter. Running with God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his sermon. Talk about getting out of church in time to go get some chewies. A one-sentence sermon. Yet, 40 days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. That was his only sermon. And that's what's so funny to me, because I feel like Jonah should have liked that message. He's a Jew. He probably would have liked walking through Nineveh saying, and you're about to go down, and you're going down. You're going down, and you're going down. Like, that seems like it would be a a fun sermon to preach. You know what I mean? Just gathering all your enemies in the room and saying, God's taking you down. And you down. And 40 days, you're, you're totally going down. Like, I would think that would be a fun sermon to preach. But Jonah wasn't excited because he understood what was on the heels. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. It took longer for God to prepare his servant than it did for the entire city of 120,000 people to repent. So he makes it through the city, gets on the other side of the city. He's tired and he thinks, I'm just going to sit and watch and see what happens. So the Bible tells us in chapter 4, What's next? And this is where there's a big crescendo. There's a big run-in between Jonah and God. And we're going to read all of chapter 4 together in my close. Verses 1 through 11. Jonah is displeased. He became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Oh, Jonah, relax. Is it right for you to be so angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under in the shade so he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. I'm actually 
side note, amazed at the number of prophets and leaders, followers of God, who find themselves completely hopeless and at a loss for where their life is headed. I mean, we see Moses, who didn't want to fulfill the call of God on his life, but thankfully he went. Elijah felt the same way. Elisha felt the same way. Over and over and over, anyone who's done anything really great for God has sometimes found themselves in a position where they would rather die than to keep on living. And that's where Jonah is. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left hand and much livestock? The whole book ends with a question mark. That's the end of the book. mission is successful. He had a great run. And then he sits in the shade. Actually, he sits outside the city. The Lord brought the shade. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just like God? Even in our moment, our little pity party moments, God will bring us some shade. He's so good. And he'll nurture us in our little pity party moments. In our moments when we feel defeated, even after so much success. Our moments when we feel like, well, I don't know what else is going to happen. I don't know where to go from here. I can't go back home because the people back home thought I was going to deliver a a word to Nineveh saying they were going to be destroyed. And now they're not going to be destroyed. So where am I going to go from here? I I don't even know what, what to do. But God caused a plant to bring Jonah shade. So if you're in a pity party right now, it's okay. If you're feeling uncertain, if you're feeling a bit sorry for yourself, you're in good company. There are probably a number of us in the room that are like that. But let me just remind you that the respite you feel and the moments of rest that you feel and the shade and the cool breeze that you feel aren't your own making. And they're not there because you withdrew. They're there because there is a God who still sees you. but thankfully there came a worm. A worm who determined by God's help that there had been enough shade. And so I wonder today, what is it in your life that God is trying to remove? What is the covering that you've placed in your life, your sanctuary, your, your respite, your shade? away from the mission, outside of the city where God has called you, and, and, and you've created this little hut for yourself, and you feel like it's safe, but God is sending a worm. God is removing the security, the safety net, the shade, because it's time for you to get on mission again. It's time for you to stand up from the wall of the city and ask God, what's the next thing you have for me? It's time for you to get back in the game. Are you with me, church? You've rested, and it's been great.
but God is sending a worm because it's time to move again. 13 years at the Exchange Church. It's been great. And I think since 2020, God has sent us some shade. I've heard from numerous pastors in this area just this week. Multiple churches that can't afford their buildings right now don't know what they're going to do. Multiple pastors trying to find outside work don't know what they're going to do. There's, there's been a shaking in what we call church. Church is different now. I know it feels different for you. As a leader, it's different. You can't lead church the way you could pre-2020. Totally different. People look at church totally different. The people that are coming, totally different. Teams need to be totally... Everything is different. Everything is different. But thankfully, for the last three years, God has created a shade a place for pastors and churches and believers to sit under. But now he's sending a worm because it's time for us to move. It's time for us to get back in the game, to understand that God has a purpose and a mission for us. Will you stand today? pray for everyone this morning. I just want to pray for everyone. Is that all right? First, I want to pray for those people who who you've been playing golf all along. You felt like a relationship with Jesus was just about you and Jesus, and, and actually it's not. It never was. You were called to be a part of a body. time to put down the club and pick up the ball put on the jersey a winning team you're ready to say yes to Jesus the truth is God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sin he was placed in the grave and on the third day he rose again for real in the flesh you bow your head and close your eyes and you're here and you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you said yes years ago and you've just not walked it out. You've not been in community. Maybe you feel like, I just need to say it again. The truth is, um, I don't need you to say yes to Jesus week after week. If you've said it before in your heart and you meant it, you are saved. You are sealed until the day of redemption. But maybe you just feel like, I've been away so long and I've been so out of touch with God and Holy Spirit. I just want to recommit my life. I want to say yes. I want to mark this day as the moment where I join Team Jesus. If that's you, you'll just raise your hand at me so I know who I'm praying for this morning. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. One. Anyone else? Anyone else? Two. Good. Anyone else? Three. Thank you. Four. Church, will you just repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin 
so that I can be in relationship with him. I believe on the third day, he rose from the grave, just as the scripture says. From this moment forward, I give my life fully to you. I surrender my will to you. I'm a child of God, and I'm playing for Team Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, can we celebrate the four? One final, one final prayer. All right. One final prayer. I, I wanted to pray for everyone this morning. Uh, so just bow your head. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you for 13 years of consistent, faithful ministry that you have led us into. God, every person that is in the room today, no matter what part they've played, whether they're on Team Exchange yet or not. The fact that they're in the room and watching online, God, you have somehow knit our hearts and our stories together. God, I ask that in the coming year, you would just help us to work together, that you would help us win together for you and Team Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. God bless you. Now that you've been to church, go be the church.